0: Progressive is America's number one motorcycle insurer, so we understand motorcycles. No, really, we have a bike translator. Uh, Okay, this is awkward, but this bike says he'd appreciate it if you removed his skull pattern saddlebags. He feels self-conscious about them around all the other bikes, and he says you're not fooling anyone. You mostly ride with your golfing buddies. (laughs) Listen, I'm just the messenger here. Oh, no, I don't want to say that. I think you made yourself clear. Quote with Progressive and see if you could save with America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates.
1: Hi, this is Johnny Eccles from Love, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts.
0: Welcome to Pamela Debar's Pajama Party, a Pantheon Podcast. Music, culture conversation,
1: play song for me. and good old-fashioned
0: rock and roll. Excuse me while kiss so now, I give you Miss Pamela and her Pajama Party.
2: Hello, dolls. You have reached Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party. This is my 25th podcast. I'm so excited to be working with Pantheon Podcasts. They've been really great to me. And I've really enjoyed it all this time. And I'm going to keep doing it. So keep tuning in, please. And listen to all our other podcasters. We've got 70 or something now, all music related. So please tune in in your spare time, which we've had too much of lately, right? Things are loosening up. It's so thrilling. And today, I have one of my very favorite people talking to me, Rhett Miller. Rhett Miller is lead singer of the old 97s, but his solo work is what's my favorite. What's most important to me is Rhett's solo work. And he's one of the prettiest human beings you'll ever see in your life. (laughs) Um, We met a long time ago, at least probably 18 years maybe. Uh, We used to hang out here in LA, but um, he moved to upstate New York. So I'm very excited to talk to Rhett. He has a, a new solo record called The Messenger and um i'm excited so please enjoy yourselves
1: your eyes are the color of the earth that's seen from outer space you got a gorgeous face though it's a little odd tell me that you like the songs that tell the story of the kind Let's drink whiskey and do it all night long. Let's
2: get drunk and get it on. Take you to a cheap hotel. Hi, Rat. Oh it's so good to see you, my God. It's been fricking too fricking long, man.
1: I've missed you. It's great to see your face.
2: Yes. You know, when you were here in L.A., we saw each other, you know, pretty often at each other's houses and parties and things.
1: Yeah. Gosh. And what's what's weird for me now is that our son, Max, is 17. He'll be 18 this year. And that's how long it was that we moved, to go, moved away. It was 18 years ago.
2: That's what I was just saying to Jerry. I thought it was 18 years. Yep. 18 years. God. And of course, I've seen you intermittently during that time, but we used to... Yeah. You know, hang out. I think you yeah. even thanked me on records, which is always, you know, people don't realize how important that is, I guess. To be thanked on a record is heaven on earth. Was it the believer or the instigator?
1: Um, I think it was the believer. Yes.
2: Yeah. I remember Michael and I, you know, my ex-husband going through the, each song with you and talking about it in my house. It was great.
1: Uh, well, Miss Pamela,
2: you are an inspiration. Oh. <laughs> you oh you know when I do my rock tours which I do you know up up until this past year I do them monthly or so every six weeks and people always ask me what do you what do you listen to what do you like and I always tell them you Rhett Miller Rhett Miller and and Todd Snyder those are you know those are you know my I'm a word whore you know a lyric whore so you write so many lyrics you and Todd both and Todd has a
1: Todd has a new record.
2: Yeah, I know. Uh, we just talked about I just interviewed him, too. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, he does. And and yours came out in 18. But boy, it's. I mean, that Thanks. is great. I bet you have another one in the works.
1: Well, the old 97s put one out in August of last year. Um, but oh, that's okay. tricky, right? Because during the pandemic, it's sort of hard to even let people know that you have a new record out. So, But it's yeah, really good. Yeah. It's called 12th.
2: Okay. I will certainly listen to that. But I've been listening to The Messenger, Thanks. and there's so many amazing songs on there. You Thanks. know, I mean, my God, yeah. Rhett, how do you do you, you write nonstop?
1: <laughs> no, in fact, during the pandemic, it's been really hard. I've I've been doing you know so many shows a week from my basement office to try and feed my kids and replace lost income. And I've also been trying to write more prose and essays and fiction. And the songs have really slowed to a trickle. Although now I'm um, cranking it back up again. I'm going back into the studio, I think in June with the same guy that produced The Messenger, Sam Cohen, to make another good. solo record.
2: Oh, good, good, good. I can't ima- imagine you drying up for words, but I, <laughs> I have. I've had a really rough time being creative during this. I'm sorry, but you're
1: still you're still teaching workshops, though.
2: Yes, I'm still doing Zoom workshops. Yeah, I uh, I you know I usually travel for them. I usually travel all over the country and the you know if you, the world if you count London and Toronto mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. for my workshops. But yeah, we've been doing it on Zoom, and it's it's working out. It's working out. And, you know obviously not the same, but it, I think it's getting better. Everything's getting. Certainly in LA, we're we're opening up June 15th, 100%.
1: That's
2: did great. You, did you know that? That's wild, huh?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, out the there. level of vaccinated people is going to be pretty high by then.
2: Yes, yes it's wonderful. Well, I'm going to start talking about, well, I met you probably 20 years ago now.
1: I think was it, it was uh, after I had put out Satellite Rides, so it would have been 2000, 2000, 2000, 2001, maybe. So 20 yeah, years.
2: 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. You know, I, I always have to, when I start, you know, I get a musical crush on people, obviously. That's just my nature, my groupy <laughs> nature, right? So, so back then I was able to just meet people I was crazy about and interview them. So that's how we met. I believe we met at the Rainbow. Mm-hmm. Um, and talked about your your record at that time.
1: Yeah. That's yeah, so cool. You no, know, I'm I'm right now in the middle of listening to an audiobook um of a book I think just called Laurel Canyon. But you were interviewed oh, yeah. for it and um and you're all over it and it's great. It talks about I I just am still in the birds Chris Hillman section, so you're you're all uh, in that.
2: I, <laughs> he was my first true love. Oh. And boy, what a bum he was oh you no know, days, oh no he was a bum and uh <laughs> you know we eventually worked it a but back then you know I used to think this the silent type I used to think they were the deep deep people for they were silent and quiet that's not always the case no but you know I mean I <laughs> and of course I was a kid I was a 19 year old girl when i when I, we, we finally got together, I had my crush at 16. Mm, mm, mm. Well, we wow. were supposed to talk about you. Okay. <laughs> okay. I have all kinds of questions here. Well, you know what we should do, though? We should play a song. Are you going to play today? Or, yeah. or Absolutely. Oh, yay! Oh, boy. Let's hear a song. All right. What would see. I like to hear? I'm going to say I would like to hear something from the messenger. How about, well, Total Disaster? Isn't that sort of a hit for you? A hit. (laughs) That was the single. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, good. Yay. Woo! All right, here we go. One, two, three, four.
1: I rode once it was lonely I find the low road much more fun. I felt like I was running for office now I'm always on the run I pushed a boulder up over and over I pulled a million dirty tricks I put away enough Irish whiskey to fill the river sticks I told you lies but you got wise truth is I'm too disaster girl's name and the color of her eyes street name and the face of the moon write them down in a beat of notebook set it to a catchy tune yeah. this is what i do to all of you the truth is i'm a total disaster There's no such thing stay by my side you've got to get that i've got flaws you are free to leave any time lord knows i will give you calls yeah you get to choose now you know the truth the truth is i'm a total disaster
2: Yeah, it's amazing how well you have been able to. I guess through stage it. I mean, you 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 just realize there's an audience out there. I know it must be. Was it difficult at first when you had to do, you know, the online gigs?
1: It's still difficult, but what it is, it's kind of similar to what happens in real life, where. Uh, okay, say I'm in Austin, Texas, and I'm at the New Antones, which is a really great little room for me to do solo gigs. It's tight, but it feels like an old school kind of honky tonk bar. I'm in the upstairs dressing room, and I'm having to navigate my sister and my old best friend Robert, or whomever's there. And then I walk yeah. down, I walk down the stairs and into the room, and it's sold out and it's crammed, wall to wall, shoulder to shoulder people and i go from like a quiet place talking to my little sister to being in this loud space wow. full of people and they're drinking and 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 it sometimes it like occurs to me like what what is this transaction is so awkward like they all got babysitters and they all drove here and they all paid for a ticket which was too much and they all paid for drinks that are expensive and and they're all like expecting me to do this thing and and it feels like i have to tell myself a story where i remind myself Um, For 30 years, I've been writing songs. I've written albums that have become part of these people's lives. They are here because they like me. They're here because they love my songs. They've made the choice to be here. They're, They're prepared to enjoy what I'm about to do. So as much as in my brain, the negative voices in my brain are like, oh my God, what are you going to, you can't make all these people happy. Are you crazy? Your songs are just these dumb little songs that you, whatever, the voices are nonstop. So I have to tell myself the story as I walk on stage, the remind myself that I'm, that I'm good enough and I'm smart enough or whatever. Um. So wow. that is, that's the story of, of my life. And I think a lot of artists life, it's a weird transaction, but even weirder still is being alone in my room maybe my dog ziggy's asleep on the couch behind me and i'm looking at a yeah. high-def camera perched atop a laptop yeah yeah. And, yeah and i just have to remember that uh, through the ethernet cable bouncing off a satellite landing in someone's hot tub where they're you know they've got their <laughs> tablet perched on the side of the hot tub whatever it is like yeah I'm, I'm with people, like we are together. I have to remember that this is a real thing and there's people there and they're excited and happy. So it's a similar story that I have to tell myself, but it's all, there's a lot of internal dialogue that goes into real and virtual concerts.
2: You know, that is fantastic insight into a performer's experience. Um, You know, I would never imagine that that goes through your head, that, you know, this might not be good enough. But of course it goes through my head before I get up and have to read or whatever. So I guess it goes through everyone's head unless they're a complete egomaniacal lunatic, right?
1: (laughs) That's the thing too. I mean, you know, I think it's probably everyone. I think even about, um, uh, I've heard you talk about Jim Morrison over the years and, you know, even Jim Morrison, like you wonder why was he such a, terrible alcoholic. You know, maybe it's yeah. because he had to deal with those voices in his own head saying, "You are yeah. acting like you're a god, but you're no, you're not a god."
2: Yeah, yeah. And and some people, the opposite of that would be Robert Plant, mm-hmm. where he took the whole thing and made real light of it and realized it was all, the golden God thing was a joke, you know. So it's just different people's attitudes, I suppose, but I, I'm surprised that you you worry about your words. They're so incredible, your your words. Maybe, maybe that, you know, you, you did that podcast with people, creatives, right? All kinds mm-hmm. of creative information. Did that help you when you spoke to all those people, or giving you insight to those kinds of issues in your head your the the devil and the angel you know
1: it's been incredible Classic. i've i've two and a half years now into doing them and i recorded one today with ben schneider from lord huron in fact i spoke last week with john dinsmore from the doors
2: wow cool
1: I know and his new book is really interesting it's all about the the seekers about different creative inspirational people throughout his life but yeah you know what i've never made a i've never made a penny off of the wheels off podcast interviews that i do but i have gotten so much out of them and maybe the main thing is just knowing that no matter how successful uh, someone is, or how how easy they make it look, because I think that's definitely a big thing. These people who make it look so easy, um, yeah. Everybody deals with something, you know. In my very first interview I ever did was Roseanne Cash, and Rose would sit there and tell me that she has always struggled with success syndrome, the guilt that comes along with having success mm. while other people that she looks up to haven't, and you know, oh, imposter, imposter syndrome, like all these things yeah. that. They try to keep us back, these internally generated obstacles. Yeah.
2: That, that's yes. been
1: the most fascinating part of it for me.
2: Oh, bet. It seems like it. And, you know, we're always fighting our ego like we're in the ring with Muhammad Ali or something. It's a constant, you know, <laughs> at least it is with me and everybody. I mean, we're, we're here to learn some type of lessons, you know, combating yeah. the egoic... Yeah, you know? your, e-
1: your ego is not your friend, right? It's your no, mind. No, no. It's in the way of yeah. you.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. And then sometimes I go, but why, Lord? You know, come on. I've got the guy tattooed on my back. Why do I, you know, he's supposed to have my back all the time. <laughs> Jeez. Ugh. Well, anyway, I love The Messenger. So I want to hear another song from there, if you don't mind. Of course. Um, could, can I hear Bittersweet?
1: Oh yeah, let me dig out the the lyrics for that Whoa. so I can make sure I don't screw I it up. I
2: love that.
1: That's a tricky one. I don't end up playing that one live too much just because it's got mm. such a, it's very moody, you know? And so usually yes, when I'm yes. yeah, doing a show, I'm trying to keep it kind of upbeat or whatever, but I do like, here I'll switch to my 1964 Gibson um, National B-25, so... Uh. The swimming pool blue as the sky the blacktop is smoking the earth's broken open we're so far away from goodbye goodbye is shimmering out on the horizon past all that shimmering heat we know it's coming there's no use in crying I might get bitter, but you'll always be sweet Light falls on white walls and ladders And we're all wrapped up in a book and way Trusty old dusk, he approaches on crutches runs off what's left of the day goodbye is spoken there's no more horizon the sirens all sing on the street the bottle is broken the red flames are rising i might get bitter but you'll always be sweet I'll fly over you and i look down And I'll wonder who's keeping you warm tonight Won't get over you but I'll go on and on Past the horizon till I'm out of sight full of oil wells with a swimming pool blue as I'll be at the end of the winter when there's ice at the center of the young man that used to be me goodbyes and good nights and good lucks and hold tights shattered like glass round my feet someday I might Get bitter, it's all right, but you, you will always be sweet. Yeah, you, you will always be sweet. You, you will always be sweet.
2: Oh, I love that gosh red it's just so beautiful all your words are so fantastic oh thanks Pamela. very moved by you you know that thank now you now tell me how you got the how stage it started 200 shows how in the world does erica deal oh. with that you <laughs> must be busy all the time i mean you must be constantly working yes
1: well it's funny because so each show is about an hour and a half's worth of work a 30 minute sound check where i go in and log on and um make sure that everything's working and then uh the people all sign on and i and i go live right at you know like nine o'clock tomorrow night i'll go live at nine o'clock eastern for my turn it up tuesday um i'm in the third season like i decided really early that i would do a thing where i i did programming like it was a tv station so four times a week i have a show and then people know what to expect so every tuesday um for a long time, it would be Time Machine Tuesday, and I would go back to a set list from um, you know somewhere in the past. I would say I'm going to do the set the old '97s did at the festival on this night in this town, or, or I'll say I'll do this album in its entirety on the anniversary of its release. And with you know 20 albums now, there's always an yeah. anniversary. Um, mm-hmm. And then on Wednesdays, I would do late night shows for the West Coast Wednesdays. And then on Fridays, uh, for a while, I was doing Friday favorites. And I would have somebody make a set list. And I would say, you know, tonight's Nick Offerman's set list. I should have hit you up, Pamela. If I go back to that, maybe I'll I'll, I'll get you to do one. And then... um, and then Sunday is Sunday brunch. So four, show, four shows a week. I always know what they're going to be. The fans know what they're going to be. I've got a hardcore group that tunes in probably like 150 people that are kind of always there. And then there's another mm. on any given night, there's another 150 people um, that wow, rotate. In and out. New people showing huh. up all the time. So really, it's an hour and a half, four times a week. But you're talking about a life where I was gone half the time and then yeah. I would be gone like for two weeks at a time. And then home sitting around so now I'll have dinner and I'll go oh it's 8 30 I got to go down to soundcheck, and I'll just run downstairs uh, uh, hour and a half later I'll walk upstairs they'll still be sitting at the table and I'll be like I just made some money and now let's watch Netflix or whatever we're gonna do <laughs> so there's a big upside uh-huh. and my kids are now teenagers so yeah my daughter's 14 wow. and my son is 17 yeah. and the fact that I've been able to be around for this part of their lives right before they go off into the world. I, you know how that is. It's it's scary and they go off and they fly away and then they're just like us. But but, you know, yeah. you remember when they were our
2: babies. Oh, so it's actually worked for you. It's worked it, for you Pandemic, been, in a way. Yeah. And I was
1: um, a really early adopter to this. So when it was all starting la- a year ago, you know, March and April, um, the Wall Street mm-hmm. Journal wrote a big article about me, the New York Times, like oh, I was suddenly the artist or one of a handful of artists that these journalists would call and they'd say, you um, you know you've you've figured out how to make it work online tell everybody how it works and I'm like I don't know the fact that I'm this 50 year old man <laughs> at the time I guess I was 49 but the fact that I've figured out how to do like an onboard server desktop client and stream through this high def yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, I can't believe that I've figured out it and made it work but you know I've knocked wood and I feel guilty in some ways because some people have had the worst year of their lives it's actually yeah, been yeah. kind of a weirdly great
2: year in some ways. Good, good. Well, I know you probably have enjoyed being home with your family and not having to go out there, but do you miss that at all?
1: Oh my God, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yes. In in fact, I did an interview about a month ago um, in advance of a show I did in real life at New York City Winery. They opened up their Mm -hmm. new um, space. And uh, and a year ago, they should have had their grand opening, but it got pushed Mm back. And then New York City finally opened up on april 1st and on april 2nd i did what the new york times reporter told me i did what was the first ticketed live music event in manhattan after the pandemic after things opened after the pandemic and um, it was terrifying yeah it was incredible (sighs)
2: oh it's on it's filmed somewhere right you know, I don't
1: think so. I don't think it's streamed. Oh. I think people grabbed little p- parts of it and put it on social media. Mm. Oh, okay. I did an okay. early show, late show. It was a 400 capacity room and they had 100 people in it spaced out and safe right. and right. Right. temperature checks and they did it all really well. But um, it was weird. The The early show, I was in my head the whole time. I was very... Like I couldn't figure out what, how do I, how was I supposed to do this? Like I've done this since I was 15 years old, but now it's been 14 months. And I, since I've done it and it just, it didn't come back very naturally. But then the late show, again, I was a golden God. I just walked out on stage and I just (laughs) owned it. It felt so great. Yeah.
2: So now you've got that first show over and now you'll always be the golden God out there.
1: (laughs) Maybe we'll see.
2: Yeah, I've been to so many of your shows, you know, anytime I could see you, I would go. You know, I love the old 97s and that must be thrilling because you get these gigantic audiences and they know all the words and it's, a, you know, almost a mosh pit. And then, you know, then then you have your solo stuff, which I actually prefer. You know, I hope everybody gets to see both of these things.
1: Yeah, well, it's it is fun. It's I get to do the 97s long enough to get sick of those guys, you know, and then (laughs) and then I go I get to go do my solo records, although this time around we've, you know, put the new record out and we haven't played a single show we're going to do the beginning of June we're going to do three outdoor safe shows in tech in Texas and
2: Texas. Okay good good
1: but they're weird they're random places it's not like dallas and austin it's cedar creek outside of austin and then the colony outside of dallas but i guess it has to be that way to get the giant outdoor space and the safety protocols because we weren't going to do
2: it yeah probably yeah it was
1: really safe
2: i think the last time i saw the old 97s was out in a really weird club at the beach that was a big surprise gig you couldn't announce it You couldn't announce that you guys were playing for some other reason. You were playing somewhere else or something, but it was a tiny little space and I got to be like sweated on and everything. It was fantastic.
1: (laughs) It was, I remember it was a club that just closed down during the pandemic called St. Rock in Hermosa Beach. And it was a great room. My friend Adam Sprigg booked it. And it was because of Adam, we would always make a point to go there, even though it's kind of an off the beaten Mm -hmm. path room, but it was really fun. It was really great. I'm going to miss that place, like a lot of places.
2: I know so many places have closed down. Yeah. Well, for all of the people out there who may not have heard you, those unlucky few, could you tell us a little, tiny bit about your, your just how you got into music, who you love, what, what inspired you, who inspired you to do what you do?
1: Um, So I'm a seventh generation Texan. Um, My name is Stuart Ransom Miller II, but my mom refused uh, to let my dad jam his name onto me when I was born without uh, agreeing to a nickname at birth. So from birth, I've been Rhett, named after Rhett Butler. and um, Perfect. Yeah. And uh, so I grew up in Texas, in Dallas specifically, which is a very commercial kind of town. It's a business and oil and, you know, big hair and cowboy hats. And it's not uh, not the nurturing artistic community that, for instance, Austin is. Um, And it's a bigger city. But in a way, it might have been good to be there because even though it was a bigger city, there was a smaller pond in it. And I got to be a big fish in it starting um around 16 years old i was playing a lot so i would open for the lords of the new church when they came through chris isaac before right before wicked game broke i opened for chris in a club uh called club clearview in front of like 150 people and he was so great i was like a 16 year old kid and he was um really generous to me in a way you know he's he's a very funny nice guy and and um And he gave me a lot of advice right off the bat just that night. And I appreciated it and wound up doing stuff with him, you know, over the the years since then. And he's always kind of been that way. Um, My biggest influences growing up, I was drawn to the Brits, you know. So um, Bowie wound up really speaking to me. Maybe it was because I I was, yeah, I, I got, you know, I guess I was I got tagged with um, the effeminate tag because I had long eyelashes and I was sensitive. And so I got beat up a lot and, you know, called a lot of oh. names. Um, you know, the middle linebackers of the world didn't have much truck for what what I was doing up there, but it was good in a way because it let me know like, Oh yeah, I don't really want to, I'm never going to win the middle linebacker game. You know, I'm, I'm going to go find um, a world that feels more loving and nurturing and supportive and collaborative. And so for me, the music world was that. I made a record in high school where I sang with, um, I affected a bit of a British accent because at the time all I was listening to was David Bowie and Aztec Camera and The Beatles and this kind of alt indie, um, you know, 80s stuff. And then it got more REM and I kind of fell in love with um, the stuff that I had, ignored vehemently growing up the the country stuff, I realized, oh, Hank Williams Sr., this is, he writes perfect songs. And so, yes. like a lot of rock and rollers, I went backwards and fell in love with the country stuff later. Mm. It's funny because oh. I'm listening to that book on Laurel Canyon and um and all of your, you know, your old friends in the birds and the flying burritos, and and you know, there's a lot of rock and rollers who realize just how much we owe to country music and how mm. how perfect those songs are compared to some of the overwrought, you know, rock and roll stuff. Um <laughs> And that's how I just kind of wound up. I went off to Sarah Lawrence for one semester on a full scholarship and then dropped out, realizing that I just wanted to do music and I didn't want a safety net. And I came back to Dallas and lived in absolute squalor until about 27 when we signed to Electra Records. And then I started to finally do pretty well. And then um, mm-hmm. and then the, the band really sort of clicked, you know, 19 around the time I met you, 90, mm-hmm. 98 or so and um and ever since then i've been able to make a you know a decent enough living i like i have a savings or anything but i am i guess i probably am in like the top one percent of musicians who get to feed their kids and pay a mortgage so thank god yes
2: yes well you came up with that i mean you decided right away okay i'm going to continue my music no matter what that's and, and not a lot of people followed suit of course but you know you were really early on that and that many times a week i don't think anyone else is doing it as often as you do
1: oh yeah the online shows it's it's intense and i've wondered like is there going to be a time when it's just obvious that i should stop but honestly i feel (laughs) like it's something i'm going to do for the rest of my life because every night i'm playing for people from atlanta to alaska to you know denmark and and it's it's you couldn't do that obviously otherwise and it's Really easy. It's really easy. And it's and there's a real connection that happens uh, despite all of the technology inter, you know, interfacing. Yes, yeah, yeah. it, it feels like it still feels like a real connection, like a real show would just without all the sweat.
2: So you are going to continue it. You're yes. going to continue these shows uh, even when you go out and you know are able to play live and all that.
1: Yeah. I can't imagine probably doing them from the road. I mean, it'd be easy enough to do, but probably I'll take a week off, go on tour, come back. And then while I'm home, I'll just do shows again.
2: I'm going to do my zoom classes too, even when it starts because I've been having people from all over the country one night a week, I get people from all girls all over the country. So I'm going to continue it too. So good things have actually come out of this. Interesting. silver linings yes the silver linings Aww. i think
1: about it all the time and i'm and i'm sure your zoom classes are great and the fact that people because it's not easy for some people to leave their homes i know that feeling i know the feeling of sort of a, a, you know agoraphobia or whatever it's hard to go out into the world and and especially if they're in a different you know city country continent they yeah. can come to a, yeah. you know pamela Debar bar class and and they can be with yeah. you pretty cool Uh,
2: yeah and yeah I've 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 come to enjoy it too and I started pretty early on too because I need to pay my bills too (laughs) um I also want to talk about your writing you know you've been doing a lot of creative writing it's just so I'm so impressed by it I read some of the stuff online that I could actually get to so were you like an English major or anything I mean
1: yeah, it's funny. A lot of it's behind paywalls, but I I, I love writing, and at my I dream I've always dreamt of writing longer form fiction, but mm. um, but it's it's a very different discipline. You know, I've devoted my life to these things that last three minutes, and yeah, they yeah. I don't have to know what they mean, and they just come out, and maybe, I can write them in a half an hour, and then they exist and they're in the world. Um, I did go to Sarah Lawrence on a creative writing scholarship.
2: Oh, and, okay. And, huh.
1: But, you know, I kept thinking, I think it would be better for me to get real life experience um, in terms of making me a better writer than it would be for me to sit in this workshop and, and listen to a bunch of 19-year-olds tell me what they think about my piece. And I, I felt... <laughs> I just felt like it kind of was a waste of time. I've never, I never really liked being a student, which is kind of ironic because I think the way that I've always learned is by watching other people and seeing what they do and looking at their fingers and looking at their, like, I really love the mechanics of doing something, but I don't, I don't think I do well when someone else tells me that I have to do that. <laughs> you know? It has to be yeah. my idea.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. In my classes, I don't teach anything. I just allow people to express themselves and give them a safe place. Mm-hmm. There's no, yeah. So, yeah, I understand well, that.
1: From what I've heard about your classes, it's, I mean, they're really like these really super fun workshops, right? And people write and they share and you tell stories. Yeah. And and yeah. I mean, I think there's something about, especially memoir writing.
2: Yeah, um, that's
1: what we do. Yeah, that, that is so it's such a specific um, discipline and it's really beautiful. And I, I've wondered about it because I have a, a really great literary agent, Jen Gates, and she um, she's encouraged me to write a memoir. And I don't really feel like my story is finished yet to the point where I'm ready to write a memoir. And I haven't ever been interested in it. But part of it is, I feel like I've blacked out so much of my life, you know, like my childhood. There's, you know, there's just a lot of stuff where I was pretty unhappy. And I just don't remember big chunks of years. And then I was drank so much and smoked so much weed starting right around 17, 18 years old, all the way up until about six years ago, that um, I'm just like, well, I don't remember enough <laughs> to write a
2: memoir. I know that's that's rough. That is rough. I'm working with someone now. I, I can't say who, but... Th- Memory. I mean, if someone asked me, so what did you and Michael talk about in 1977 after that gig? I mean, who can remember that stuff? Yeah. I mean, you really can't. The only reason I could write my first two memoirs were because of the diaries. Yes. A lot of journals and stuff I kept. But can we go back? Would you mind talking about that depression? I know you've talked about the fact that you wanted to off yourself as a, such a youngster, um, do you mind saying, talking about that and why that, what happened to to keep you alive? Cause I'm yeah, so glad it did.
1: Thanks. Um, no, in fact, I just was in the last couple of days, I've written a couple of different essays. I wrote an essay for the re-release of the old 97's album, Fight Songs. We did a, a remixed version of the album and there's an album of outtakes um, from the record as well. And so they asked me to write an essay and uh, to begin with, I was um, I wasn't excited about I've never liked the the sort of writing that's like, well, we checked into the studio on this day and they put, you know, an SM58 on the, the bottom head of the snare drum. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I used a task, whatever, like all those things. <laughs> like, I don't care. I've never been good at the technical stuff. Um, but I did finally just start thinking about where was I when I wrote this record and when we made this record and what was the experience for me just as a human being? Um, And so I wrote about the relationship that brought me to Los Angeles. Um, I moved for a a Dallas girl who was um, an indie film producer and moved into a house in Beverly Hills with her and like nine other people. And it was it was a weird time. It wasn't a great relationship. It It was brutal in a lot of ways. And it, and it made for a really tricky time in my life. And those years, 28, 29, um, were really hard for me. And it was the first time in a bunch of years that I had kind of came back to that place where I was feeling really self-destructive. And I ended up reaching out to the psychiatrist that I had begun to see after my 14-year-old suicide attempt and that I saw throughout my teenage years, Dr. Humphreys who was a really square guy in Dallas, to talk like this doctor. He was a psychiatrist, you know, he was a prescribing physician, but he was. Yeah. But I, I remember seeing his daughter out at a punk rock club after I'd been seeing, you know, <laughs> meeting with him for years, and she had a, a vertical column of straight up punk rock hair, and I was like, "Yay, Doctor Humphreys, your kid's a weirdo," and um, <laughs> but so I, I went back to see him again during that time because it was the first time I'd really wrestled. Again, with that, um, you know, the, the self-destructive impulses, the, the suicidal ideations, and uh, and it helped me a lot. And and the making of that album and and the, the sort of the few months after it was released and I was able to sort of take my life back over again. And I made a decision then that I wasn't gonna be unhappy. And I contributed in the relationship. I'm not blaming her, my ex-girlfriend at the time. It was very much, you know, two to tango situation. But, um, but it did help me figure out, like, I need to be in a nurturing thing and I need to nurture myself and I need to stand up for myself. And these things that I've since really made a point to emphasize to my own kids, like, I want you to self-advocate. I want you to love yourself and no one's ever Mm going to love you unless you love yourself. You, you, it all stops with you and starts with you and, and having them live through those years that I just barely survived those teenage years. Mm has been, um, it was, it's been scary, but oh, I'm so proud of them. And they're so great. And I think I've done a pretty good job of, you know, helping them through it. And, and so much of it's listening. I can't just sit here and tell them my stories because that's, you know, who cares? They didn't live through it. They're not going to learn from that.
2: Well, I think it's so great that you're a good dad on top of everything else. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Well, please give Erica my love too.
1: I will. She said to say hi. She was excited that we were going oh, to talk yeah. today.
2: Oh, goody, goody! Did didn't you write the song "Question" about her?
1: That was a weirdly prescient thing where I had gone oh. on one date in New York City with um, this girl, Mary, really sweet girl from Dallas. That. Uh, huh. I don't think she would mind me characterizing it as such. When I lived in Dallas and worked at the front door of Torelli's restaurant, Mary was this model that everybody was in love with. And she would walk through and not give anybody the time of day. And I didn't know that she knew who I was, even though we were all just, you know, head over heels for Mary. And then I played a gig in New York city at this little club called the Fez. And I came up after the the gig and she was sitting at the bar and she waved me over and she said, Oh my God, I'm so excited to see you. And I'm like, me like looking around like i didn't think you knew who i was but um you know music it's i guess carrot has some cachet so yes um, it does yeah so mary and i went out on a date and it was very sweet but it was just that and i was leaving to go on my first ever trip to uh i've been with the band but um i was going to go to europe Um, by myself I'd never traveled I'd never even taken a week off from gigging with the old 97s or solo since I was like 15 and so I went over to England where my sister was living in Wimbledon with her boyfriend attending the London School of Economics Um, but the night before I left uh, I was on the date with Mary and we were at her apartment and she, she said oh you're gonna love my roommate and pointed at a picture on the wall of this really beautiful girl and I was like well that would be awkward Um, (laughs) the roommate came home and with her boyfriend, who was like a six foot six French male model and just gorgeous and a chef and like, you know, the ultimate boyfriend. Right. And, um, and they, they were both very nice. And she said, well, I'm going to be over in England next week. And I was like, I'm going to be in England. I'm doing a gig in Soho. So, so she came to my gig in Soho. We hung out for a week before her boyfriend showed up. To to join her. But it was all platonic. But during that week, we spent a day with a couple in London, really sweet couple, and they just gotten engaged. And they told me their story. And that night I went back to Wimbledon. Um, and I wrote this really little throw, what I thought was a really throwaway little ditty, this wow. song that was just about, you know, she woke from a dream, she's in a bad mood. He's like, This is my only day. I've got off from work and I've got the ring. And um, and so it's it, I thought it was just me, you know, writing another little thing that I was going to throw away. It was like two minutes long, and it's wound up being the song that's sort of the most used, maybe the most beloved, certainly the most um, utilized in film and television and in people's mm-hmm. lives. It's become an incredibly useful, which I think is a great word for uh, anything you can create. It's the ultimate thing; it can mm-hmm. be as useful. It's become an incredibly useful song as people use it in their weddings and their proposals and their uh, romantic relationships. And it's really sweet, but I wrote it before I realized that I had been hanging out that day with a girl that I would later marry, have two kids with. <laughs> That's an incredible
2: life. story. It's
1: very sweet. Can we hear that song? I'd be honored. You know, what's oh, funny. Boy. is When I, when I later proposed to her, this song was not a part of the proposal at all, which is kind of funny because now people tell me all the time how I learned to play your song question so I could use it as a proposal. Yeah. Right, here's the question. Okay. She woke from a dream her head was on fire why was he so nervous he took her to the park she crossed her arms and lowered her eyelids someday somebody's gonna ask you the question that you should say yes to once in your life maybe tonight i've got a question for you she had no idea she started to cry she said in a Way he took her by the hand and he walked her back home. They took the long way. Someday, somebody's gonna ask you a question that you should say yes to once in your life. Maybe i've got a question for you once in your life maybe tonight i've got a question for you i've
2: got a question cry every time (laughs) Jerry has tears in his eyes (laughs) (laughs) that song really works right (laughs) thank you you know it's funny
1: I've been doing some workshops myself and songwriting and that song will come up and I've wondered why does it work and I think a big part (laughs) of it was that I didn't try to calculate a song that would Make me money or get in TV shows or people have. I'm not, I'm going to make a song and everybody's going to use it in their wedding. I just, Yeah, yeah, I just was inspired by a sweet thing I'd seen and I wanted to do justice to, you know, this little story that these people lived through. And I think when you calculate something it will always smack of desperation people will feel manipulated by the thing you've made but if the thing you've made really comes from a place of wanting to put something in the world that's genuine and feels honest then that thing will probably connect in a way that it never would if you tried to try to figure out how to get people you know
2: right right well it's a beauty thanks Where do you feel like you sit in like the pantheon? Are you comfortable (laughs) with where you're sitting in the pantheon of music?
1: Mm, That's a funny question because I've always been really hungry. I've always wanted to prove myself. Um, I've always wanted more you know in 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 a way that doesn't feel it's funny i just finished saying that i don't want to calculate ways to you know <laughs> succeed but um but i have but i have always wanted to um improve upon what i've done in the past i've always wanted to be better at what i do i've always wanted to reach more people with every record i've always hoped for a moment when a song would click in a way that no previous song had clicked you know i've always I've always wanted to, to, um, you know, have a bigger audience than I than I have. Uh, that said, it's easy to get caught up in feeling um, disgruntled. Why have I never been nominated for a Grammy? What an outrage! But at yeah. the same time, you know, yes. I look at my career and I think I love what I've done. I love who I am. I've got 20 albums and I don't think any of them are clunkers. You know, um, I don't feel like there's anything I've ever done that I've been embarrassed of. I don't think I've ever, there are certainly times when I could have tried to figure out a way to, um, make it click. You know, the Electra Records tried really hard to convince me to, um, they were like, okay, look at Jack Johnson, all right? Look at, at the time, your lab, my label mate, uh, well, you know what? I probably shouldn't even say his name anyway. A guy who's like a real <laughs> like, hippie dippy happy-singing love songs. Everybody likes your little bitty songs. And, you know, just these kind of really lightweight uh, party songs that just felt fake to me. And and I probably could have figured out a way to do something You know, but then again, everything I'm saying right now goes against what I just said. If I had tried to lie, then it would have smacked of the desperation that drives people away. So all of that said, I love the life I'm living. I wouldn't change anything, but I do hope that whatever the next record I make uh, gets nominated for six
2: Grammys. (laughs) I love it. I love it and and you deserve every grammy in the world for god's <laughs> sake thanks and tell me more about your your uh your teaching aren't you teaching writing uh songwriting workshops
1: yeah i've been doing um some stuff through the old town school of folk music in chicago And then I'm trying to put together a songwriting retreat, which I think would be really great. You know, I have friends that do these and I think they're really cool. Um, The logistics of, as you know, doing your workshops, anything that involves people. What was it, Sartre? Um, (laughs) Hell is other people. So once you start trying to get hotel rooms and meals for all these other people as well, what a nightmare. But... um, So yeah, I've been doing them online. I'm hoping to at some point do them in person. I just love it. I love writing songs. I love the craft of songwriting. I love the idea of bringing something into the world. That's why I call them songwriting is magic because when you sit down, there is nothing. And when you stand up an hour later, there's a song. You know, and maybe this song will save someone's life. Maybe this song will bring them together with, um, you know, their their lover. And maybe this song will, you know, help somebody get over a really difficult moment. Maybe these songs that have utility in real life situations, um, and they come from somewhere. And that somewhere is this weird marriage of intention and the inexplicable, right? Like I'm going to write a song. I'm not sure where it comes from, but I'm going to put myself in a position to get it into the world. And I think there's a way you can help people figure out how to do that. And I think people have that in them more than they imagine. Like there used to be a time um, that, I mean, I, you know, the the, the time when rock and roll carried such mystique that these people really were believed to to be superhuman, but they weren't (laughs) you know, better than anybody. These were just human beings that put their, you know, boots on one at a time. And, you know, they wrote songs just by sitting down with a guitar or a friend with a piano or whatever. And then a song happened.
2: It's faith. It's just faith, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's believing in yourself. It's believing in,
2: it's it's believing in the, yeah. Good can come. It's faith. It's, it's opening yourself up to the universe and just saying, fuck it. You know, yeah. you just take that risk. So that's great that you can help people do that. You're so wonderful.
1: Thanks, I'm you so too, glad Ms. We're Pamela. Friends. Me too. Oh,
2: oh, my God. Well, I'm going to, we're out of time just about, but I would love to hear a final song from you. Could we hear our love?
1: Yes, absolutely. I. It's funny, during that same trip to Europe, I went off um, to the continent and I found myself in Prague, and I went to the, um, opera house there in Prague and saw a production of Tristan und Isolde, uh, the opera, which, uh, by Richard Wagner. And I didn't realize it was six hours long. <laughs> yeah. So during, oh boy. during the intermissions, I wrote lyrics that eventually became, I was reading the, yeah. um, I was reading a, a t- two things at that time, a biography of Richard Wagner, who it turns out is an asshole. And, um. I was reading Franz Kafka's letters to his lover, Milena. So I, um, all of that somehow turned into this song, which is I think the opening track on um, my album, The Instigator, so. Richard Bobby's letters to his lover until the world man should have quit before he had written the address. Yeah, they made love on the mezzanine husband was his friend Vienna in a fugue stay working on a thing that when he finished it took almost seven hours to say oh well he still found time to write to her his heart exploding word our love surpassed our love so fast our love's all wrong our In a song All love goes on All love, all love All love, all love, love. Cocking in his letters to his lover Me later was alive But he was waiting for a love That never would arrive <laughs> Yeah, their rendezvous Was you. Her husband was his friend. She's a living fire. She's a reason to live. Killing me, burning only for him. When well, I'll spend my whole life loving her, my heart exploding. Words. Our love surpassed. Our love so fast. Our love's all wrong. Our love goes on. to you in a song. Our love goes on and on. And on, and on.
2: It made me want to dance my butt off. <laughs> oh my god, that was so great, Red. Thank you, yeah, thank you for hanging for out me. with me. Yes, thank you for hanging out with me for an hour. I really appreciate it and I loved seeing you. My god,
1: well, it's in great person, to see you. Hopefully, soon, I hope in real life, soon. IRL, yes. soon,
2: yes. <laughs>
1: thanks, Pamela. Take care of yourself. Also, a spider web. Your best friend was sleeping in your mama's bed. Your dad was doing taxes in his boxes on the floor. Hanging out in the old house, though he escaped from the web years before. To...
2: So that was Red Miller, guys. Rhett Miller. We're both Virgos. We actually both have the last name Miller, but I chose Debar because it's a prettier last name. But how great was Rhett? He's so thrilling. Please listen to his music. Please download all his stuff. Go buy his records, his vinyl. Support Rhett. He has been so active during the pandemic and you know we need to give him love. And please, is he great or what? And thank you for listening. I'm Pamela Debar, the world's most famous groupie. In case you don't know, Groupie's a music lover. That's all. Someone wants to get near the music like I often did. So please tune in next time.
0: You've been listening to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party. Produced by Aaron Alden and Christian Swain. All sound design by Jerry Danielson and Busy Signal Studios. Find Miss Pamela at Pamela DeBar on Facebook instagram or twitter find all the pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you find great podcasts find us on facebook at facebook.com backslash pantheon podcasts rock and roll archaeology on instagram and pantheon pods on twitter At Progressive, we know there's nothing like the feeling of riding a motorcycle with your crew on the open road. That symphony of engines roaring in perfect harmony. It's a feeling that would be impossible to recreate on the radio. Until now. Hit it, Jerry. Oh, my word. Really, really terrible. Is that a glockenspiel, Jerry? Quote with Progressive and see if you could save with America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Uh, no, No, Jerry, it's over. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.